Well, it's New Year. It's a time we always tend to think about changes we want to make, changes in our life and our circumstances. And we all know change isn't easy. It kind of made me think of the jokes about what it takes to change even a light bulb. For instance, how many gorillas do you think it takes to change a light bulb? Just one, but it takes a whole truckload of light bulbs. Let's try another one. How many pro wrestlers does it take to change a light bulb? Actually, you might be surprised, it takes three. One to yank the old bulb out, throw it on the floor, try to jump on it from a great height and act real surprised when it rolls out of the way at the last second. One to pretend to twist the new one, insofar it almost breaks, and some guy in a black and white striped uniform whose purpose in pro wrestling is completely unknown. Well, how many technical support folks does it take to change a light bulb? Again, just one. But you will be put on hold for at least an hour, asked an endless stream of questions like, have you tried the light switch? And you will ultimately have to do all the work. Here's one. How many fatalists does it take to change a light bulb? Well, really, who cares? We're all gonna die anyway. And finally, how many psychiatrists does it take to change a light bulb? Well, again, just one, but the, it will take a long time and the bulb has to really want to change. Not a bad segue. Do you really want to change? Because when it comes to change, real change is a far more difficult enterprise than changing a light bulb. I mean, just reflect on some of the changes you may have imagined in your life. Think of the all-too-human flaws and failings, the poor habits and attitudes that persist year after year after year. How many of you would say, there's at least one thing I would like to change about the person sitting next to me? How about yourself? And if you could identify that one thing, do you think you could make the change? Do you genuinely think over time you will make the change? You know, some of us have just reached a point where we say, you know, I just don't think I'm ever going to change. I've tried, it hasn't worked. Others really want to change, but in spite of our best intentions, ultimately, our efforts haven't led to true change or transformation. Well, today, in the opening chapters of the book of Acts, we get to witness one of the greatest changes and transformations in history, flat out in history. In, after Jesus' death on the cross, think of his followers. They were utterly crushed by grief, hearts broken, faith shaken, hopes shattered, many scattered, some hid behind locked doors. And yet, in just a few years, that fear, their fearless lives and contagious love for Jesus, the crucified, would change the course of human history. What changed? What prompted? What caused that kind of change? What conquered their fears? What transformed their, their doubts and despair to abounding hope? Well, today in the opening chapter of the book of Acts, we get to see 
It was then we witnessed that God literally said, Let my son rise. Jesus the crucified was raised in the power of God's spirit. God literally said, let grace and love conquer sin. Let, right, joy conquer sorrow and sadness. Let life conquer even death. And those followers, once broken, became filled with bright hope and fresh purpose because they were witnesses to the risen Lord. In the first chapter of Acts, we learn that Jesus appeared to them over a period of 40 days. Think of that. Jesus appeared to them over a period of 40 days. And just before Jesus ascended and was taken up into heaven, He tells them in Acts chapter 1 verse 8, You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Now, I just want you to try to picture this scene. We know that on occasion Jesus liked to kneel down and like draw on the the dirt. Well, imagine at this moment the risen Lord kneels down and, 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 and he draws a map of the world. He's a very good drawer, don't you think? And, and you can imagine him, you know, he'd have to uh, uh, say stuff like, you know, well, well, actually, guys, the world is round, uh, but don't worry about that. And, and this part here, it hasn't been discovered yet, but don't worry about that. You're here, and you're going to start here, and you're going to be my witnesses, right? Starting in Jerusalem, and then moving out to Judea and Samaria, to the whole Roman Empire, to the ends of the earth. It all starts here. And they say, well, now, wait a minute, wait a minute. Let, let, help us get our heads around this. You want us to cover how much of that map? And he, and he takes his finger and he literally draws a circle around the whole map. And he says, well, pretty much the whole enchilada here. What an astounding thing. And these words that attest to that story at the, at the witness of eyewitnesses, happened only years after these events. What an incredible vision. And it was just at the start. You know, um, the Olympics are coming, right? In a month, we're a month away. And the Olympics kind of have a vision of their own, don't they? And I mean, I, I love to watch the Olympics. It's kind of cool. But I just want us to ponder the, the vision of the Olympics, right? I mean, the torch is going to be passed. Once again, we're all going to get caught up in the Olympic spirit. But here's how it works. Athletes from around the world gather in a single place to compete and defeat others in order to win medals and glory for their nation and for themselves. And if they're lucky, big-time advertising right, contracts. Jesus comes, pours out his life on a cross, is crucified, is raised in the power of God's Spirit, gathers his heartbroken, stunned followers, and gives them another vision. It's the vision of God's kingdom breaking into this world through human beings, through their hearts, through their lives, through their words, through their actions. And in in this stunning vision... People here travel to other nations to give their lives in sacrificial service. 
not to win medals or glory for themselves, but to win hearts and lives through the love of Jesus. What an incredible, astounding vision. For God so loved the world, Jesus said, He did something about it. He sent someone. He sent me. (laughs) His only son. With that, Jesus passes the torch of God's vision for reaching the people of this world. And now we come to the second chapter of Acts. First God said, let my son rise. And now through the power of that same spirit, God says, let the church rise. And rise it did. Acts chapter 2, verse 1. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Did you hear that? Scripture says not some, but all of Jesus' followers were filled with the Holy Spirit. Men, women, young, old. And because Pentecost was a great festival of the Jewish faith, there were Jewish people from around the Roman Empire gathered in Jerusalem on that day. I don't think that was an accident. At that moment... Peter, who just weeks before had denied Jesus three times and despaired of Jesus, wasn't even thinking he might rise from the dead. He rises up and steps out into the morning light and empowered by the Spirit of God, he proclaims that Jesus is God's chosen, rejected and crucified by his own people, but risen for the forgiveness and salvation of all people. And he warns them about the ways of this world and calls them to repentance, to faith, and to receive God's grace and the gift of God's Spirit in their lives. What a stunning vision. He's talking to people who may have been in the crowd that called for Jesus to be crucified. And yet he stands there and says, the offer of grace is extended to you. just as he extended to the thief on the cross beside him, and he would extend it to the soldier who nailed him to that cross. It's just an astounding picture of human hearts transformed by a vision of God, a God who loves each of us passionate, deep, deeply, endlessly. Well, in response, astoundingly, 3,000 people say yes to faith in life in Jesus and are baptized that very day. Wow. That's a good day for a preacher, wouldn't you say? You know, literally, the first community, those first followers of Jesus go and grow from over just a little over 100, 120 to thousands in a day. I'd say the church did rise that day. But then, you know, what do you do now? How... How did this new community filled with God's Spirit respond? What did, it, what did they look like? We find that again in the second chapter of Acts at the end of the chapter. In verse 42 and following we read, They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to breaking of the bread and to prayer. 
Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts and they broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Literally, in a day, God, through the living outpoured spirit of Jesus, right, gathers a community the world had never seen before. I mean, men, women, slave, free, people from every right station of life, people from every nation on this earth. It's just stunning. And it doesn't happen by accident. Now, I, I, I love this stuff, and, and if you're kind of a student of Scripture, this will kind of, you know, uh, give you a little Bible buzz, okay? Um, there is this amazing parallel between the experience of, of these first followers of Jesus after the Spirit is poured out and Jesus' own life and experience. They're literally a parallel picture of what happened in Jesus' own life. Jesus, in Luke chapter 3 and 4, is anointed with the Spirit of God, an outpouring of God's Spirit in baptism. The Spirit then leads him into the wilderness for 40 days. And there, in the power of the Spirit, he confronts every temptation Satan in this world can throw at him to knock him off right, the course God has set for him. Right, to get him defeated, discouraged, distracted, on to something else, a different direction in life, and Jesus, in the power of the Spirit, passes the test. And He returns from the wilderness, full of the Holy Spirit, it says. And He goes to His hometown, Nazareth, and preaches His first public sermon. He launches His ministry. And what do you think happened? They tossed Him out. Um, things actually went better a lot, for Pe- a lot better for Peter than they did for Jesus. But He didn't give up. He launched into his ministry, and literally the first thing he begins to do is gather a community of followers, of disciples, of apprentices. You know, men and women who would learn his way, come to cherish his truth, and come to share his life with one another. And, and notice what takes place in the life of his followers after the Uh, after Jesus is raised from the dead. His followers experience 40 days with the risen Lord. And it's then that they experience, after a time of prayer, the outpouring of God's Spirit. Then follows Peter's first message. He announces the promise of God's grace and Spirit to all who believe. And then, what does God do? God gathers a new community, empowered by the Spirit, and devoted to the way and the truth and the life of Jesus. We literally see them put into living action what we now call the Great Commission. And we find it in Matthew chapter 28. The risen Lord, speaking to his disciples, says to them, All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the end of the age. And go they did. And this is just the vision we see unfold 
as the Spirit of God gives life to the church. They learned the way of Jesus. They lived the way of Jesus. And they shared the way of Jesus with anyone who would take part. Their lives were changed forever. The lives of countless others were changed forever. The world was changed forever. Change is possible when it begins with God. With God's vision and the power of God's Spirit at work in our lives and with, the, with a, a community that is utterly devoted to help making that change possible. Right? For us too. Well, how about the changes God would love to see and make possible in your life? How about you? Now, I don't know about you, but I, I will confess, year after year, I find that in so many ways I'm still the same flawed guy. Changes I would love to see just don't really seem to happen. You know? And I think, I, I mean, like any of us, I struggle to experience some of that real change that I would like to see. I came across a, a cartoon of, of two elderly women uh, sitting on a porch outside a rest home. And one says to the other, You know, I'm getting so old that all my friends in heaven will think I didn't make it. I mean, we can get so discouraged about what happens in our life, about the changes that don't seem to come. You know, we can begin to wonder. And, and, and sadly, the cartoon lifts up a very faded version of the life Jesus desires and wants to make possible for us. Because the Christian faith is not simply about getting us into heaven. That's the frosting on the cake. The real calling, the real passion and dream of Jesus and the God, our Father, who sent Him was that we could experience heaven here and now. That the full measure of God's love and joy, God's hope and generosity would break into our hearts and lives here and now. And people in our lives would experience the love and joy of heaven through us here and now. Jesus wants us to experience that life-changing power of God's love here and now. And He has shown us the way. The problem is, and no one has put it better than Dallas Willard, instead of devoting ourselves passionately and consistently to the Great Commission, I think we've drifted into what he calls the Great Omission. This is what he writes. For at least several decades, the churches of the Western world have not made discipleship a condition of being a Christian. One is not required to be or to intend to be an actual disciple or apprentice of Jesus in order to become a Christian. And one may remain a Christian without any signs of progress toward or in Discipleship, namely growing in the way and the truth and the life of Jesus. We simply let those cherished 
practices of life with Jesus and life in his community from devotion to prayer uh, to, to meditation in his word right, to, to acts of kindness and service to, to living generously and sacrificially we just let them fall like ashes in our lives and instead get caught up under the influence of this culture that would completely distract us from the call and voice of God in our lives. And this is what I want to say. It's time, isn't it, to let the church rise, to let the Spirit of God raise you up and into a life through which God can, in fact, work those very down-to-earth, very human but very real changes that transformed the lives of his first followers and that transformed the world. You know, the Spirit can light fresh fires in a life. Uh, I was uh, on Christmas break. Um, I got to spend a weekend with my brother and Scott, his wife Erin, and their two girls. I wish I had a picture. Those girls are so cute. I have the cutest nieces on the planet. Um, one night, I got into a conversation with Aaron I just didn't anticipate. I mean, it was just, whoa, this is wonderful. Um, and I asked her if she'd be willing to share it. And, and here it is. And man, did it light a fire in my belly. So this is what she wrote. Dear Brother Bob, as you know, growing up, I was denied religion. My mother was raised in a home in which she was abused in the name of God. Ow. Religion was bad, I was told, in so many different ways. And isn't it true? It can be. It can be. However, I was always a spiritual little girl and would find the beauty of God in nature. We are created in the image of God. We're created to to desire and to respond to the presence of the living God. And she did. But she didn't really experience a spiritual awakening until years later when she came into the circle of our family where it was actually encouraged. But her experience in uh, the church um, didn't lead to change. You know, she would show up and the kids would go to Sunday school and they'd leave, but no connections, no involvement, no, no service, and, and they drifted away. After years. Well, just the last uh, uh, few months, um, something amazing has happened. Because God led Aaron and Scott to a church that kind of buzzes with the energy and fire of the church we read about in Acts. This is what she said. Uh, The first thing I noticed when we entered the doors of a local elementary school building where Sunday services are held was all the children entering and the greeters offering big smiles, handshakes in a, can I help you find your way? The music was full of life, the pastor passionate, the community engaged, staying long after talking, breaking down and cleaning up. Our first six months were filled with opportunities and invitations to women's retreats uh, called Sister Chicks and uh, Men's Fight Club Night. Need to hear more about that. 
And the most amazing fall festival uh, and girls' bunko nights, picnics, Bible studies, camping, we were approached and invited personally by members of the church. And what I came to learn was that all new members are given a six-month grace period in which they can experience the life of the church without any commitments. After six months, I was so excited about our new church, I already felt connected and had met other women many times outside of Sundays. Well, this was our home. I eventually got a call from Janelle, the children's ministry leader, that went something like this. Hi, Aaron, this is Janelle. I'm making the fall schedule, and I'd like to know which Sunday of the month you'd like to teach Sunday school. Um, I, I haven't taught Sunday school. Her blood pressure rises. Can you tell me more? Yeah, I'd I'd like you to teach in one of your daughter's classes. The commitment is one Sunday every month. Which one would you like? Um, I've never taught before. Are you sure you want me? Isn't there somebody else more qualified? Panic is entering my voice. After all, I'm a busy working mother of two. Well, you know, Aaron, I'm certain you'll be able to do a great job. There will be two of you teaching together uh, the same Sunday. If you're uncomfortable with this assignment, we can talk about other possibilities. Uh, Okay, I... I'll do my best. Thanks. I'll send you the schedule materials. We'll be in touch. Aaron goes on. What I've since come to realize is that everyone in the church participates, volunteers in some way. I believe this is one of the reasons I received so many invitations to events and so quickly became involved. So many different people have a strong feeling of ownership, pride, and investment in the life of the church. Activities are no longer the churches, separate from from the body of people. They are of the body. Now, this isn't to say that there aren't some who do more than others, because there are. But for the most part, it's truly a together venture. Participation is part of the culture of the church. Why is this important? Honestly, I never would have thought of myself as a Sunday school teacher material. Tomorrow, that's today, when I enter the classroom, I'll have some nerves in my stomach, but joy in my heart. In some small way, I'm symbolically wearing a little tiara where anything is possible. And I can lead, and I can teach even if it is fifth graders. And then she finishes. Just as a child learning to ride a bike needs a swift push from her dad, for so many reasons, I needed a gentle nudge into the community. And I realize this may sound counterintuitive to the whole spiritual gifts and opening your hearts and willingness thing, but I think there's room for this too. And I'm learning that faith is practice. And sometimes you need a strong coach, even a strong push, And I'm proud to say, I am now officially an active part of my church. Wow. I can't tell you how that fanned the fire in my belly about what a church can be. I can't tell you how grateful to God I am that He led my brother and my sister-in-law and our nieces to a church like that. And that leads me to just simply want to say, we are the church. Let it happen here and now, among us. It can happen starting today. So if you've been here over six months, the grace period's over. (laughs) 
Calls are coming. We're going to start getting it figured out. I'm putting you on notice. It's all in. Because we've all been blessed. Right? By the grace of God and Jesus Christ His Son. We've all been blessed with the outpouring and empowerment of His Spirit. We all have a once-in-a-lifetime, eternity-impacting chance to have an impact in this world for God, in the love of Jesus Christ. Let the church rise. Let it begin today.